Meet Calvin. Hi. Calvin won 50 bucks off his roommate. That's because Calvin has the iHeartRadio app. iHeartRadio. Which he used to make a pasta song playlist. I'm a genioki. Calvin blasted this on repeat after betting his roommate couldn't complete a four-day juice cleanse. Oh, I can. The song Proper Pappardelle pushed him over the edge. Mm. I love carbs. Good thing Calvin is one of millions with the iHeartRadio app. Download it today and get paid to ruin your roommate's stupid cleanse. Like Calvin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 177, an episode presented by Yeti. Quick programming note, this is our final episode of 2023. Thank you so much for all the support. We will be back on January 16th next year, getting psyched for the start of the 2024 Championship Tour season. Before we get to today's conversation, though, here are three surfing news items to keep in mind this week as you sit in your own lineups. First up, the Vans Pipemaster Specialty event completed last week with two-time WSL champion John John Florence and the undisputed queen of Pipeline, Moana Jones-Wong, taking top honors. Congrats to the both of them, and we are very much looking forward to seeing the world's best surfers start their 2024 world title campaigns at Pipeline in just a few weeks. Secondly, this year's electric acid surfboard test from STAB featured West Oz's Sean Manners testing a variety of craft across Winky Pop, the South Island of New Zealand, Lennox Head, and at home in Western Australia. The three-event series culminated with Manners selecting Ian Byrne and his channeled fangtail as the winner. Congrats to Ian, and we'll be on the lookout for the next season of East or its cousin, STAB in the Dark. Finally, as we go dark for the end of the off-season, a reminder that the world's best surfers will return for the 2024 CT season starting on the North Shore on January 29th. The whole season will be streaming live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Definitely looking forward to a little break, but really looking forward to seeing the CT return very, very soon. All right, episode 177. Today's guest is someone who was rightly regarded as one of the most promising young surfers from North America in the 1990s. Whether quote-unquote tagging along with his older brothers or with the momentum generation, his trademark humility rarely accounted for his barn-burning performances in everything from 2 to 20 feet. He's worked with filmmakers like Taylor Steele and Thomas Campbell, and has served as a brand ambassador for the likes of Billabong, Hurley, Patagonia, Yeti, and many others, spending his post-competitive career traveling the world surfing and co-developing better and better products that we get to use every single day. And he now runs an educational farm, Poco Farm, in Ojai with his family. We talk about all this and more. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with Ventura's Dan Malloy. A good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. I thought you were boxing.
All right, so we have a very special guest for everyone today on the lineup for our final episode of 2023. He is the youngest brother in one of the more revered families in surfing. He and his family have traveled all over the world chasing waves and adventure. He was a standout amateur and junior surfer. He was actually one of the lead prospects coming out of the mainland U.S. in the 1990s, and he made good on that potential with a number of competitive results, including a win at the OP Pro Junior in 1996, a runner-up finish to Sonny Garcia at the U.S. Open in 2000, uh, winning the Faith Riding Pro QS event at Sunset Beach in 2003, and being selected by his peers to Surfer Magazine's poll as one of the 10 best surfers in the world. That said, competition surfing didn't hold the same allure for him as surf exploration did, and he parlayed his talent and his passion into a number of free surfing projects, including Thicker Than Water, Step Into Liquid, One California Day, The Present, A Broke Down Melody, Sprout, and many others collaborating with the likes of Taylor Steele and Thomas Campbell in the process. He's been an ambassador for brands like Billabong, Hurley, Patagonia, Yeti, and many others. And he now runs a successful educational farm with his family in Ventura, in between continued inspiring performances in the water when you are lucky enough to catch him doing so. We have Dan Malloy on the podcast. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Dave. I really appreciate it. So we were joking about it when we were trying to set up, and and I'm here in Oxnard. I've been here for you know 13 years. You're up the road. We're we're, we're kind of neighbors. But where are you uh, coming to from today? Where are we talking from today for you? I live in my hometown, which is Ojai, California. It's just you know up the Ventura River Valley from basically C Street. You just follow that river up the hill, and um, I live in a little side part of Ojai called Miners Oaks. Very cool. And and what is your day to day like up there in in two thousand three? Is it is it pretty consistent? Oh, Do you have a routine, or is it every day is different? I mean, these days with the kiddo, we have a four year old. Um, it's a little bit more routine, you know, because you're running running around with him, you know, trying to not not to get kicked in the nuts all day, and um, and um, just basically. Um, running him to school, working on little projects here at our place. Um, try to jam down to the beach when I can, um, sneak in a little run or whatever it might be, but it's, you know, it's mellowed out a lot since, you know, since, you know, in my, in my twenties and thirties, I was on the road all the time and never had a schedule. And these days, you know, I'm home most of the time and, and enjoying it. I, I do like, I do like, uh, being home these days a lot. I'm always curious with people because because I traveled a lot for the tour as well. I still do a little bit, but you know, people that that was their life, like being a road warrior for in some cases like decades, um, and then transitioning to a more kind of static home life in a singular place. Did, was that challenging for you, or were you, by the time you're ready to do it, were you like, I'm good, I, I need a break from the road, and I, I want to kind of put down. It's roots. a little of both. Mm. Yeah, it's a little of both for me. Um, I for sure had like never knew what being homesick was like. I didn't, I didn't even understand what that meant for years. Like we'd be on the Australia leg of the tour and it would, I think it ended in West Oz and um, all my friends would be going home and I'd be like, we'd have like three or four weeks till the next contest. Mm. And I'd be like, there's no way I'm going home. Like, why would I ever go home? And so until I think I was about 30, three or something like that. Um, I didn't even, I never even thought about it. 
I never imagined I'd move back to my hometown. I, I just didn't think I was just like, we were scoring perfect waves on the road, doing something new every single day and never, never thought about it. And then it was like a light switch all of a sudden mm. and totally unexpected. I had this like radical urge to, to spend more time at home. And, um, that's when, when I would be home in Ventura, cause I lived in Hawaii too. Um, and, uh, when I would come visit family and friends in Ventura, I'd come back up to my hometown and I was like, wow, this is weird. Totally unexpected too. But this, this feels more like home than any, anywhere that I've been, you know? Right. And so it was, it was unexpected for sure to have that feeling of like wanting to put my feet on the ground and get my feet on the ground. But then, you know, I can't, I can't deny that like hitting the road isn't a blast, you know, like getting on the road still feels amazing. Um, I think there's just a balance to it now. Like I don't want to be on the, on the road all year anymore, but to take a little break and get perspective on what you're doing at home is really important. Cause like after whatever, five or six months or eight months at home, you kind of just start to lose perspective in the day, day to day. So yeah, it was a little bit of a mix of both. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's interesting to hear you talk about when you were touring and how you know you and your brothers were like, well, you know, we're in Western Australia. I'm not running home for four weeks. Like, why, why would I do that? And it makes me think of um, a few years ago, we were in Jeffreys Bay, and and the event finished, and the waves are supposed to be good for for weeks on end. And Kelly was just planning on staying, and and Stephen Bell, his sort of longtime confidant. I remember he was talking to me about it and they're like, he's like all these kids that are coming up, like they get in, you know, a day before the event starts. And the second they're done, they're like on the flight out that night. They're like, why do you think Kelly's so good? Like he, he never really had a home and his home was on the road. And if he wanted to stay in Jeffrey's Bay for two months, he wouldn't just score and get that, get, get that good. And I, that always struck me as kind of a recent phenomenon, but it sounds like that was also the case when you were touring too. There was a good chunk of people that were like, get me home. I'm not, I'm not here to hang out. Oh yeah. Especially in, especially in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. That was the really interesting one to me because, um, my dad lived in Maui for a while when we were kids. Uh, sorry, not when we were kids before we were born. And, um, so we just always like Hawaii was just in our, just, really ingrained in our imaginations. And in the second that we had the opportunity, my brothers and I to move to Hawaii, we did. And, um, and, and we loved every second of it. We'd get there, you know, a month before the contest started, or, I mean, we didn't even like, it wasn't based off of when the contest happened or when the scene, we just, we, we had a, we lived there. And, um, and so, um, and that was, it was really clear during that period of time you know, who was, who loved being there and who felt like they had to be there, Mm. you know? And, um, and that was amazing because it was like, you know, it was hard to believe, hard to believe for me because Oahu is Mecca, you know, like that was, that was the place there was just nowhere I would have rather been those years than just having your finger on the pulse, like every day waking up and looking at pipeline and, sunset and you know rocky rights and all that stuff um but it's funny you brought that up though about kelly my brother chris and i were just talking about it the other day and i forget what what why it came up but you know he literally like would just win an event i feel like kelly and ross williams and shane dorian were all like this like they would just do something crazy or kelly would just win an event 
And like, while the awards are going on, he's like, holy shit, little sandbars going off right now. You know, like right. still, still thinking about which wave is going off. Like it didn't matter if somewhere was all time, like he wanted to be there. Right. And, um, you know, he's just the freak of freaks when it comes to that. Just so incredibly tuned in and, um, obsessed, you know, with, with being on it when it's good. I wonder now that you're bringing that up, I wonder if that is more of a generational thing where it's, it's more folks from, from your generation and probably the ones before looked at professional surfing as a career, mostly as like, a, and we all do to a degree, like a version of a grift, right? Where you're like, the most important <laughs> thing to me is to go surfing. And if doing contests or doing video parts or putting stickers on my board allows me to go surfing more, I'm going to do that. And to your point, like, they're on stage winning awards and being like, well, look at that wave down the way. Like, that's what their focus is. And then flash forward, you know, a couple of decades and the surfing industrial complex has grown so much that it is like a career and you kind of have really elite level surfers achieving things, but they're like, I, I, this is a business. I got to go do my thing. It's probably not yeah. that polarizing, but I wonder if that's a version of it where it's like, oh no, we were just running away to join the circus. That's what we were trying to do. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, it just, it kind of, for me in, in my career or whatever, it kind of depends on when it was, you know, like from right. 13 to 14, I surfed for stickers straight up. <laughs> I was like, that's why I was doing it. <laughs> um, but you know, like later on there was definitely, you know, the, the best sessions I ever had, you know, there was no contest and nobody filming and and that was totally fine. That was totally fine. But you know, it was also like you were pretty young and it was fun to have the little chip on your shoulder to try to want to be better than that guy or try to win an event. But I would say that, uh, I was really lucky, like incredibly lucky to grow up with that crew of guys. Like they were older than me, but they let me tag along. And there mm. was really amazing camaraderie about scoring unbelievable surf with no one around and having secret spots and sessions where you just didn't bring cameras. And that was a really, really fun part of it. And it kept, it kept, um, like a little, you know, there was something sacred about what we were doing. Um, you know, it wasn't just, you know, even though we were like, you know, is involved with getting photos and making sure all that stuff happened as anybody ever, uh, there was like, there was this sacred part of it too. Um, but, you know, so I think that was, uh, I just feel really lucky. Like, you know, I, I came up just below, you know, Chris and Keith and Ross and Shane and Kelly. And, and then they came up below Brock, Brock Little and, um, uh, Todd Chesser. And those guys had a really neat, um, way that they pushed each other. And, uh, mm. and that trickled down to us in a way that was, I really appreciate over time because, you know, there, there were, there, there was a time to, to, um, there was a time to go out and like, you know, get, get the job done so you could travel and all that stuff. And there was a time to just go surfing with a couple of friends and, and, and let it, let all that stuff go. And so I really appreciate like, as the time, as the years go on, I really appreciate getting to come up under those guys. Right. I like the way you articulated that too, because I think any surfer out there, whether you're actively seeking it out 
or you just kind of happen to stumble upon like a really special session where all these conditions come together and maybe it's just you or maybe it's just you and your friends and you share it and it's like it's like you can't really even articulate the value of it but that's kind of why that's what drives you where you're like oh my god like i don't that's worth more than all the money I'll ever make is getting like a couple hours in those conditions and it will never happen again. It was like that, that little special moment. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You're half the time too, you're better off if it doesn't get documented because it's never quite as good as you think right. it was. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? uh, more than half the time for me. I like the way I surf in my head much more than the, oh, the yeah. evidence. I, do you, do you, you remember know, I, the, yeah. The times when you were a kid and you're like, oh my God, I got the best barrel ever. And then you see it on video and you're like, just devastated. <laughs> that can't be the wave. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's going to be something else. Dad, I, dad I, you I, missed I it. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah, clearly that's not it. That's not going in the highlight reel. The, um, mm. I, I, I know we're jumping around a little bit and I, I definitely want to spend a lot of time on your trajectory because I think it's so, so interesting, but you know, You've worn so many hats in surfing. If you had to describe to, well, describe to our listeners, they're listening in, what your career is in 2023 in, in any respect, how would you kind of articulate it? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I don't know if I, I could articulate it exactly. I think I'm in a, in a, at a time in my life where it's really, I'm figuring out what the next phase is, to be honest with you. Right. Um, you know, I, I jumped on a train when I was like 12 years old. Like I was already obsessed with surfing, surfing when I was a tiny kid and, and was just hell bent. That's exactly what I wanted to do. And I, and I spent all my time surfing and thinking about surfing and, you know, trying to be a professional surfer. And I got to do that. And then, and then, you know, because of that, I got to learn about filmmaking because of that, uh, you know, I had really lucky timing and amazing support with, with the Hurley family and, and Paul Gomez and those guys really had my back. And then uh, when the transition came and I went to, to Patagonia, that was an amazing transition where I was still surfing a ton, but I was helping them kind of like understand surfing on a, on a, on a bigger level. And, 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 um, and so when when i parted ways from patagonia a couple of years ago um it was like kind of in a way i felt like i got to work for the brands that i wanted to work for like what to me felt like the best brands in the world and you know work in in marketing and work with the designers and uh you know direct short documentaries and do all of this work and in in a way when that relationship faded away it, it created this gap for the first time since I was like, you know, 13 years old of being like, okay, well kind of what's next. And, um, mm. I mean, the really, the, what I'm doing now spending most of my time doing here in Ojai is that my wife and I, uh, started a, uh, um, an educational farm. We, we have four acres right in the center of this neighborhood that's surrounded by schools. And so we have four acres, and we have, you know, a small vegetable farm and dairy goats and chickens and a bunch of citrus and basically open it up as a space where kids can come and learn and be outside. Like, um, you know, so many kids are just kind of, I feel like 
desperate. So many kids are just desperate to be outside and working with their hands or, and, um, I don't think that's, you know, enough of an option these days in school. So, um, that's like what we're spending most of our time doing. Um, and just this year that's become a nonprofit and it's not, I wouldn't call it like a career, (laughs) but it's what we're super (laughs) passionate about and what we're interested in. And right now we're just like, concentrating on it a hundred percent and seeing what happens. It's one of those things where it's like, if, if we, um, you know, we've been doing this work, my wife's, you know, runs the teaching operation along with our partner guy named Daryl fourth, who's helping out. And we have a, a couple other employees too. Um, and we've been spending all of our time doing that. And it's kind of one of those moments where we're like, Hey, well, let's spend a hundred percent of our time, um, creating this educational farm for the community and see if it works. And if it works great, if it doesn't, we'll see what's next. Um, you know, on the side, I'm still trying to surf as much as I can been body surfing a ton and I go spear fishing when I can. That's definitely one of my favorite things to do. But right now it's like, you know, completely different than it's ever been. And most of my time I'm spending here working on that. Um, I definitely have, like, I know I'll, I'll, I know I'll work on a few more films in my life, but I'm not like chasing kind of the commercial filmmaking world at the moment. Um, but I do love filmmaking and I, and I know that, I know that I'll work on a, a, a couple more films, but I, but I don't know exactly what they will be. I think more kind of along the lines of documentary filmmaking type of work. So we'll see, but. Yeah. It's not, it's not a, you know, right now it's not, you know, I don't have like this perfect kind of 10 year plan. I'm kind of taking it, you know, a day at a time. Well, it's good to hear too. And, and I mean, I think also interestingly, obviously you still have, you know, you still get your gills wet and, and you've got an incredible storyteller and you have all this experience and knowledge. But I think one of the cool things is that even though, for you personally, it probably feels like a far cry away from, you know, surfer poles and putting the Jersey on and and being this, the star of a lot of these films, you're in a different space in your life. You're doing a different thing, but you still have, you still grown to a place where brands are traveling with you, like even into these other spaces. And a lot of cases they're in spaces where the brands have a lot of history as well. I think, you know, Yeti being one of them, they're supporting this podcast, but it does feel like, as, as we talk to more surfers on this podcast or just sort of creatives and outdoorsmen, they get to a place in their career where it's like, well, I don't have to go chasing the sticker. I don't have to go do the thing that that sponsor wants me to do necessarily. I can partner with brands that are really more aligned with what I want to do. And it, it feels like that's probably a, a sweet spot for you and Yeti in a way. Absolutely. I, <laughs> I, um, I kick myself a little bit because I'm like, I know in a combination of, for, for a combination of reasons in my career, I got super spoiled. Like I worked for the exact brands that I dreamed of working for that made amazing gear, you know? And so, you know, working with brand like Patagonia and with Yeti, it's, it's made it a little hard afterwards to be like, Oh, I'm going to go throw my whole life in it. You know, I, I tend to do that when I'm like, right. I'm going to work for somebody. I throw everything into it. So some of the other brands after, after Patagonia was done, I'm, I've been like kind of looking around. I'm like, I don't know if I can throw my whole life into that. And, um, <laughs> Yeti has been, Yeti has been amazing because I, you know, I use their gear every day 
And um, they've been super supportive on the creative front, on the filmmaking stuff. I also just love like who, you know, when we're working on a project for Yeti, who I get to hang out with. Like, you know, if you are going on a trip and you get to go hang out with Kimmy Werner and Mark Healy and, you know, they're involved with everyone from, you know, JT Van Zant to Shane Dorian and freaking bull riders and all like, it's, it's just an amazing group of people. Um, so it's, it's, I just feel really lucky to be a part of that crew and, um, yeah, but, but, uh, and they just, you know, the, the gear that they, that they make is, you know, literally like whether it's, you know, fishing gear, backcountry gear, whatever it is, it's just like so solid. So I, I'm, I feel really lucky to be working with them. Um, yeah. We've been pretty pumped to have them as a partner just cause the gear is so good, whether it's, you know, like the go box or, you know, um, you know, the ramblers or whatever, it's been really fantastic. And for you in particular, like even all those brands you listed were very gear centric, you know, whether it was Billabong mm-hmm. or Hurley or Patagonia or Yeti. And it does sound like for you in particular, like it's one thing to wear the clothes, one thing to put the stickers on, but it does feel like the most potent brands are the ones that are like, here is a hard good, whatever it is, you know, wetsuit, cooler, you know, board short, et cetera. And this gear is actually going to improve the quality of your life. If you, if you yeah. use it right, it's going to be durable. It's going to be functional. It's going to be high quality. And I feel like that's always the best way to go about building a brand, even if you move into clothing, because it's like, well, yeah. at some point clothing becomes kind of ubiquitous, but if that's associated with a product that really improves my life, I'm going to probably go buy that t-shirt or whatever. Yeah. You know, I will say like over the years, um, I feel like growing up in the surf industry, like growing up as a little, little kid watching the surf movies and, and walk and looking at the magazines. Um, I feel like, you know, you, you kind of grow up believing all the things, the things you're looking at, you know, right. Yeah. You, you, the marketing really, really works when you're a kid, you know, like you're Big time. all in on, on what you're seeing. And so it was really interesting to be like so heavily immersed in all the media when you're a little kid and then be like, I want to be, you know, I want to get sponsored by these guys. I want to do this and then go do that and be a part of it and be in the room when people are making decisions and then start comparing the gear to other brands and kind of the veil starts to get lifted a little bit, you know, on, on the marketing side of things. And you're like, Whoa, this is all really similar stuff. You know, (laughs) like this is, this is most, all of this gear is all made in, you know, one, like, you know, all designed in one very small area in, in Southern California. Then it's all, uh, produced in the same factories overseas but then it's all marketed as totally different things. And so right. to be in the middle of it all and see that and be like, whoa, this is totally different than what I imagined it would be. It was, you know, kind of awesome to go into the belly of the beast and, and, and learn that. And then to actually identify brands that are making real useful gear. Um, and that's what kind of led you know, my brothers and I and myself on the journey of working for, for brands that, that make amazing things that you actually need, you know? And, um, and, you know, it's like recently I've just been spending a little time up at, uh, true aims, the, the fin company in Goleta. Do you know about them? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and it, it's just so fun and so interesting to be spend time with, with Chuck Ames, 
you know, just like master craftsmen and, and like he is, you know, direct, um, he's directly, he's talking to Greeno still once a week and working on designs for new fins and they cut them right there in the shop and foil them and do the whole deal. They build the, build the, the fins from start to finish. Most of them anyway. And, um, to be, you know, and this is like directly what we need to do the actual active surfing, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, so that stuff's really interesting to me these days. Um, and I love spending time, you know, with people who, whether it's shapers or, um, you know, with those guys up there has been amazing. I was going to bring this one, this fin, they have this new fin or it's not that new, but it's this new Greeno collaboration, uh, trailer fin that they made. It's just so beautiful. Oh, is that the and, one you posted um, anyway, on Instagram? Right. That would like, yeah, this little I did. Hot, I posted hockey, that yeah. one. So everyone check out Dan's Instagram to know yeah, exactly like what you're talking fins. about. It's, very, it's cool. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. And, um, it's just fun to be around people that are doing like the work that is directly, directly connected to, to surfing. You know, I love spending time a little here and there with Britt Merrick and talking about surfboards. Um, mostly because like, I'm fascinated by like, I don't know, surfboard shaping is, is really mysterious to me. And, and, and talking to someone like Brit, he's such a master and, um, to see his development has been really, really cool. And so that, that stuff's really interesting to me these days. And, um, yeah, so the, the brand side of things, the clothing brand side of things, not, not as, not as interesting to me as it used to be. <laughs> as you said, the veil's been pulled a little too far back. You're like, Oh, that's what's behind the curtain. Yeah. Okay, I get it. <laughs> I've, I've been there too. Yeah. Um, that's a great segue. We're, yeah. we're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors and we'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. Hey, I hear you think podcasts are all about true crime, huh? Well, wise guy, the iHeartRadio app's got all kinds of podcasts. We got stuff you should know and stuff they don't want you to know. We got Bobby Bones, Big Boy, and Lou Later. We got SpongeBob Binge Pants and Exotic Erotic Storytime. We got Doughboys, Two Dudes in a Kitchen, Green Eggs and Dan. Hey, we got ElfQuest. We got podcasts for everything on the iHeartRadio app for free. If you don't download that, well, that's not just a true crime, my friend. That's criminal. All right, we're back. This is The Lineup. I'm Dave Prodan here with Dan Malloy. Dan, we, we, we touched on a few components of your family and your upbringing you know, in Ventura, Santa Barbara County. But for the listeners out there, can you give us more of a sense of like what was your family like growing up? Like, what did mom and dad do, siblings? And, and I know you guys didn't necessarily grow up on the beach on the beach, but I think that was probably part of an early part of your life is getting into the ocean. Cause so can you give us a little bit of a picture of, of where you came from? Yeah. Our, our life when we were kids was, um, it was, it was amazing really. Like this, this little town's beautiful. Um, it's a great place to grow up. And, um, you know, my dad was working, he was doing pipeline construction wherever, wherever that work took him, you know? Um, so he would be up and gone, he'd be out of the house at four in the morning every day on the weekdays. Um, and my mom was just kind of a homemaker and, uh, we had a pretty simple kind of normal upbringing, I think. And, um, we were just off to little Catholic schools every day. Um, and just kind of mucking around in the orchards and the foothills of Ojai. And then on the weekends, we would go to the beach every chance that we got. Um, and, uh, and there was a whole crew of us. There were my brothers and I, and then, you know, uh, a bunch of other friends, my, my best buddy, Vaughn Montgomery and Lennon's and Mark Brown, we would all go down and spend, we would go directly to the closest beach, which was Emma Wood. Um, and we would just post up at Emma Wood. Like at that time in our lives, my dad, my dad surfed. He was actually a really good surfer, but he wasn't, um, he wasn't like, a. he just would go to the beach and go surfing. He wasn't driving around in circles, looking for the best waves. And so he would just take us straight to Emma Wood and we would just post up there. And so we would do that every chance that we got. And being here, it's really hot in the summertime. So getting down to the beach was a huge deal for us. And we'd spend as much time as we could down there. And we'd often like one family would rent out the camp spot. And then as soon as that, you know, week was over and you couldn't rent it anymore, the next family would rent it out and used to be so affordable, you know? And, um, but then when I was four years old, my little sister was born who's severely handicapped. And Mm. so that definitely like was a little bit of a game changer for our family. You know, she's blind and deaf with cerebral palsy. And so it was, it was a little bit of a hectic existence, you know, um, there was, but like, I think what that did for us is just had us spending more time outside, you know, more, more time 
more time out around town, more time at the beach, you know, and, um, that, that, you know, really, you know, that was, that was a hard, uh, I didn't really recognize it as being a hard time, but it was a hard time for our family. And it was a mm. huge transition to figure out how to deal with that. You know, it was before the internet. So my parents weren't yeah. like, you know, you weren't like, uh, there weren't like support groups, you know, that you could just look up and stuff like that. And so my, my parents were trying to piece that together, but I think, you know, the way that that affected us was that we just spent more time out, outside. Um, probably didn't do a lot for my book learning to have that come into my life at four years old, but, <laughs> but I did, uh, you know, we had everything we needed. Um, my, my pops was like a go-getter always had us, you know, kind of out in the natural environment doing something where we could get in a little bit of trouble and have a good time. And, um, yeah, we had, we had an amazing, it was pretty magical, uh, place to grow up, you know, between Ojai and, and down there at Emmawood. It's a pretty common theme uh, uh, that w that we talk about quite a lot with with very high level surfers is the ocean becoming you know a place of refuge from whatever's going on, even if the situation at home's not bad. You know, it's just for whatever reason there, there's sort of that common theme of people going, and this is this is my refuge, and because it has that that real like existential benefit to young people that are in those situations, you know, the person ends up spending so much time in the ocean, they end up getting very, very good at whatever they're doing in the ocean. And it's, you could kind of look yeah. across the spectrum of whether they're CT surfers or free surfers. And there is that, that common theme, you know, at the time you're growing up with you and your brother spending all this time at the beach and, and starting to surf, you know, Ventura has, such a proud history of very, very good surfers, but there's always the caveat that it's like, we're not Orange County, you know, we're removed from that in a way. I I'm wondering, you know, you talked about in the first segment, you know, surfing for stickers and becoming obsessed with professional surfing at a young age. H how were you first introduced or was this always something that you and your brothers thought about from the time you started surfing? We're like, those are the best surfers. We get the magazines. We, you know, whatever kind of contest results or videos we can get our hands on. We, we digest, or was there kind of a moment where you're like, oh yeah, no, that's, this makes sense. This is a pathway to something else. Um, so how did I get introduced to like the possibility yeah, just like of the industry and like, and exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, so, like I said, my dad was a really good surfer, but he didn't have videos or magazines around or anything like that. He didn't really like identify as a surfer. He just surfed and he surfed right. well, but it wasn't how he would. But um, I, I'd say the, the, what really introduced my brothers and I to, and we all might answer this differently, but the way I remember it is that my, my best friend, Vaughn Montgomery, his dad, Mike Montgomery, he was like a diehard surfer. And, um, he knew everything. He was like an encyclopedia and he had all the new surf films and all the magazines. And he also like, when we, you know, got a little bit older, he started throwing us in the car and going to check different surf spots. You know, he would take us down to Oxnard or he would drive us up to Halama. And, you know, while we were going, he would be telling us, you know, who is doing what in the surfing world at any given time. And I think that was like what opened us up to a, a, the larger community of surfers and the history of surfing. And, um, and then, 
when, you know, I was like 12 or 13 years old, I started competing. And I think that mm-hmm. was really what kind of thrust us into, or me at least, and, and Keith, you know, we started doing WSAs and uh, NSSAs, you know, mostly NSSAs. And, um, you know, all of a sudden you find yourself down at lowers, you know, and you're surfing and there's Nathan Fletcher, you know, and you're like, holy that's Nathan Fletcher right there. And that's Christian Fletcher and that's Herbie Fletcher. Like, whoa, this is crazy. And like, you have those guys in a heat or whatever. And, um, so even though like we felt really, really removed, you know, I mean, we're just up the road, I know, but like we felt really, really removed, but you know, we were close enough to where we, once we got contact with that, we'd like look at it in the magazines and had no connection to it for a long time and then started competing and you'd show up at an event and be like, whoa, where it lowers. Like, remember pots in that movie with the webs and trunks that lowers, like that's where we are right now. Oh my God. It just seemed like the biggest deal ever. And it was just like a succession of that continuing to happen, you know, and, um, of, and being really enamored by it being like, I can't believe it. I got to surf lowers. It's the most rippable wave ever you know, or, um, you know, when I got a little lo- older, you know, growing up, seeing all that imagery, imagery of, uh, current at Todos and then going down there and getting to do that and try that. And then, and then when I got older, you know, taking trips to Hawaii, um, mm. being at Foodland and like shopping and, and Aki, Aki is like shopping for, you know, lucky charms next to you and at Foodland, And you're like, Oh my God, that's Aki. Like, so it was really an interesting experience to be just so, so obsessed with surfing and then continuously having access to like getting to meet your heroes and spend time in these places. And I think that's what kept me going for a really long time is like, I, I just wanted to, like, there was nothing more that I enjoyed than, and getting to go surf on a surf trip with one of my heroes, you know, or, or spend time in Hawaii and get to paddle out and, you know, you're surfing with, um, Peter Cole, you know, or, you know, Clyde Icow or something like just the craziest, you couldn't imagine that that could even happen. And so I think that started actually one of the first times I can remember that happening I guess this was less, we less knew what was going on, but to remember it back, like we were surfing Emma Wood and we would every once in a while, Greeno would show up and paddle out to the reef on a mat and, and surf the reef. And so those experiences, I think just stuck, stuck with us. Um, and they were a big deal. They were a big deal to us, you know, it kind of meant everything to us. So, um, I think that exposure and that like ladder of getting to do that over and over again with new people and, being genuinely like just totally obsessed with this thing um, just kept me going for a really long time. It's beautifully put. And I think you touch on something that's really unique and special to surfing because you're absolutely right. Like when you're a kid and you're, you know, pouring over the magazines or rewatching the VHS tape over and over and over. And you're like, man, the, the stories and these locations and these people, they're like Titanic, you know, and your kid, when you're, when you're a kid and you're so impressionable, but as you pointed out, 
everything in surfing for by and large is really accessible. You know, like if you want, you can drive down and you can surf lowers and it's the site of all this special stuff that you've absorbed. And, you know, you can go to a contest and like, if you want, you can sit next to Kelly Slater warming up before his heat. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, yeah. I don't think there's any other sport or activity where you could have the same, like, point a to point b like very short distance between things that you hold super super sacred and just getting to be a part of it if you if you want to i think the big key and i know this is a, a big thing in your family and, and you've talked about it you know when your dad your dad's sort of raising you and your brothers up is you definitely have to be respectful depending on where you go and it seems yeah, like that yeah. was a big thing for you and your brothers whether whether it was meeting your heroes or going to hawaii or whatever it is yeah i think i think uh i mean i always enjoyed that part of the the process of like anywhere you show up you know you you get there and you kind of like look around and first you're kind of you know looking at what the waves are doing and where the current is and where the channel is and then you're kind of like looking at who's who and trying to guess like which which person do you need to look out for and there's no place on earth that you learn that better than the north shore you know and um i but i kind of thoroughly enjoyed the process, um, because I do respect all those guys so much. Um, and I remember, you know, when I was like 16, I would go over to the North shore for spring break. Um, and I remember surfing VLAN one time and, and, uh, something happened where Perry Dane got snaked and he went over the falls and I just was like duck diving and he popped up right near me and we kind of bumped into each other. And he kicked me and like five other people out of the water at the same time. And I remember I was so shattered and I, I told my brother, Chris, I'm like, Oh, I'm, it's over, dude. Perry kicked me out of the water. And he's like, dude, join the club. Like he, he's doing that every day. He won't even remember. <laughs> he won't even remember it was you. And, um, but just, I value all those experiences so much. And, and, um, you know, just even getting to, you know, it wasn't like I was a mainstay at pipeline or anything, but I did surf it a lot and, you know, snuck waves at back door and off the wall quite a bit just to be out in the lineup there and to have a phase in my life where I did know who was who and the dynamic out there was so incredible and so hectic and intense mm. and just knowing what the bottom looks like. I did a lot of diving out there and, um, just it's an amazing experience to to spend that much of your time doing something and and you know um between the natural environment of the waves and the and the, and the the characters the freaking gnarly characters that surf out there not just the best surfers but the thugs um is just an incredible an incredible thing to learn how how uh natural dynamic and I don't know. It's hard, hard to explain, but it, it's, it was a really amazing time in my life. And I really appreciate that. And to this day though, like when I go to a new spot, I'm always trying to figure out who's who and who not to snake, who not to call off a wave, even if it mm. feels like your turn, like there's just people that it's, it's better that right. you don't call them, even if they're not going to beat you up. It's like, it's nice to not be calling off a guy that, you know, the, the wrong guy. So I, I enjoy, I've always enjoyed that. And I think it's part of the reason why I really love body surfing is because first mm. of all, I just enjoy, I just love the act. It's just so much fun. You never have a bad body surf. And second of all, if there's a new lineup that I don't really know, 
trying to figure out the wave and there's a, maybe it's a little bit of an intense crew. I'll swim out and try to figure it out. Like you're, you're no threat to anybody when you swim out and you, it gives you a little time to just like take it all in. And, um, I mean, that's what I do when I go back to Hawaii now is I, I'm pretty much body surf most of the time. It's insane. Like you can paddle out, you know, feels like this, that ace up your sleeve. Like it's, it's, uh, you can paddle out a pipeline and basically be in the barrel with John, John watching him go by you. It's like getting to sit on the 50 yard line of the, at the Super Bowl. you know, like the craziest thing ever. And, um, and so I've always enjoyed that, the process of, you know, of learning a lineup, figuring out who's who and, uh, and kind of, you know, going with the flow. You mentioned pipeline there and, and it, it struck me because we were talking about this the other day. I was talking to John Florence about it a, a while ago and, and you know, my, my kids, they got me into uh, climbing during COVID and I love it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like digest all the content, like, you know, we're going to watch like, you know, but, uh, you know, the Alpinist or whatever, you know, 14 mm-hmm. peaks, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, I was watching all this stuff and I remember I was talking to John at the same time. And I said, honestly, like if I had to, maybe this is a bit ham fisted of a comparison, but, but the climbing community at El Capitan and then the surfing community at Pipeline, it feels like there's a ton of overlap in those stories. Cause it's like this very sacred specific area with this group of people, some of whom make their entire career out of just focusing on this face of rock or this particular wave. And I know you've got a bit of background with the climbing community as well. Like, do you think that's fair? Like in the sense of just when you're talking about that environment at pipeline and you know, the characters that are there and how important it is to, to, to certain people's careers. Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, that whole, what we, what we did at, um, in Patagonia, I think, you know, Jeff Johnson and, and my brother, Chris wrote this like little manifesto that was built almost completely off of what you just said, but, but more based mm. on the, the, the climbers in the fifties and sixties, the climbers and the surfers kind of, right. you know, what was going on at El Capitan and what was going on, uh, mm. or, you know, Yosemite in general and what was going on. Um, on the North shore, Miami Bay and sunset beach and everything. I mean, it's the comparison. I mean, it was almost exactly the same people doing the exact same thing, you know, um, developing all their own gear, you know, nobody was making a living. Right. Um, you had to spend, you know, all of your time doing, doing that. And, uh, I think it's a, it's an exact comparison. I think that they're, they're, they were born out of the exact same need to get away from normal society and kind of forge their own way into something, um, something. And so I, I see an exact, you know, correlation between those, those two crews, like, you know, modern climbing and modern surfing. I do think we're born out of the exact same time period for the exact same reasons. That's really interesting. You know, on the topic of, of making a living and going back to your own trajectory as a professional surfer, you know, you mentioned, you know, Bob Hurley and Paul Gomez and, and getting the support you needed, you know, Billabong Hurley, and then transitioning to Patagonia and, and, and beyond, you know, for you, when you're coming up, you know, if you, if you listen to your brothers or read about your brothers, there's always this common, um, 
theme when they're talking about you they go dan is way too humble for his own good he will never ever talk about like how good he is at whatever he's doing and and they it was interesting because a lot of times they they hearken it back to kind of what you said where it's like you know you were the younger brother so you were kind of tagging along or you were a few years younger than that momentum generation so it felt like you were maybe tagging along but when you looked at your own career at that time were you thinking yeah, I'm going to make the tour or I'm going after a world title or I want to achieve this. Or were you, were you more taking it kind of day by day? I mean, I, I had high hopes when I was a kid, you know, like I definitely, there was a time when I was like, Oh, I want to try to win a world title. But then I also think I had a little bit of imposter syndrome syndrome too. Like there, you know, I would, I would like, Mm. you know, it was an interesting experience to be in because I would like, get a huge result. And I'd be like, man, I don't feel like I was surfing very well. And like, I feel like I kind of got juiced in that event or something. Like I would be thinking those type of thoughts. And I was, I was around surfers who like, they wouldn't care how they won. If they won, they were like king of the world. And so I, I definitely had a difference in my temperament there. Um, and I was, I was, you know, I would say that like, I was a little bit, you know, competitively a little bit conflicted. I didn't believe the construct of competition as much as, you know, I got to, I got to be around some of the greatest competitors in history, you know, like, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't around Kelly a lot competing, but I got to hang with him a ton. And then I competed with Andy coming up and I watched his whole trajectory from the front row, you know, and to, to witness that sense of belief and like, kind of, you know, that level of commitment was really, really interesting to see it up close and personal, you know, and, um, and, you know, there was a big difference between, you know, myself and people like, like Kelly and Andy, as far as, as far as, you know, the belief in what they were doing competitively. And I kind of noticed that after a few years. And, um, so, um, I don't know, you know, I've, I don't know what to say about that other than that, like, try, try coming up under Kelly and Shane, you know, <laughs> like you're not, it's hard to live up to those guys, you know, like those, those are the guys that were just right above, you know, Kalani and Timmy Curran and myself, you know, we were caught kind of little crew and, and Andy, but like, it's hard to, it's hard to pat yourself on the back when you're coming up under, you know, Shane Doreen and, and Kelly Slater, like they're still doing crazy, crazy all the time. And just, you know, and it was another thing with the, with the, you know, kind of learning from, from, I think Todd Chesser and having those guys, there was a lot of like hazing Mm. that kept you in your place. Um, But I don't know, there was times too, when I just like, didn't, always, you know, I think, you know, one of my greatest achievements, a couple of my greatest achievements were, is that was, I was an alternate to the Eddie and I was an alternate to the, um, in the, um, I was invited to be an alternate in Eddie and in the, uh, in the Mavericks event. And I I can remember being like, Hmm. I don't know if I deserve this, you know, I've just always had that. And, uh, I don't know Hmm. why I don't think it's a good thing. (laughs) I kind of battle against it a little bit, but, um, but it's just been a part of my personality and, uh, sometimes when I should take something and run with it, I'll like kind of move almost the other way. And I think that's what I've done a little bit at times. I'm like, mm. you know, I don't, and I, I can't explain that exactly. 
Well, I mean, sometimes it works out really well because number one, the I mean, it's impressive that you'd have that kind of internal honesty and a self-assessment at a young age to be like, I have the drive, I got the motivation, but also, you know, I'm looking at some comparisons and I, I'm recognizing that's not me necessarily. Mm. And, you know, fortunately for all of us, cause I'm just a couple of years younger than you and you get to speak to one of my favorite surfers on the podcast. Fantastic. Mm. But you know, you were able to commit more time to free surfing and, you know, collaborating with Taylor Steele, you know, whether it was in the show or a number of other films, but then also with, with Thomas Campbell, both, I think in front of and behind the lens to a degree, can you talk to us a little bit about just the free surfing part and the filming part of your career? And then with it comes to Taylor and Thomas, I'm sure there are some similarities, but stylistically it does feel like they're producing pretty distinct products in a way. And so maybe yeah. talk a little bit about working with both of them too. Well, so working with, um, they're super different, both Thomas and Taylor, but, but they both had this really incredibly high standard of what they were looking for. And I loved, I loved working with Taylor and that was happening when I was working with Taylor, that was happening kind of while I was competing mm. and, but there, when there was breaks and events, you would be, you know, going on trips with Taylor and, you know, it was really lucky to be a part of that crew. You know, that was a lucky thing. But then when it came to getting usable waves, I loved that you, it was just like, he didn't care who you were once you were on the trips, if the wave wasn't good enough, you wouldn't use it. You know, like if it wasn't predetermined that you were going to get a section, like if you got a bunch of bad boards or had an injury or whatever, like you, you weren't going to be in the movie. And, and that's just the way it was. And, um, I kind of loved that. It was just very clear. And what I really loved too, about working with Taylor is like, you had the, you had to surf the best you'd ever surfed to be a part of his projects. And that was just like the perfect standard. You know, you're just like the contest. You just felt like there was so much, um, you know, you just had to, you were just doing the dance so often surfing mm. terrible waves back then it was three waves. Right. Like I've never surfed in an event where it was two waves and you were just like, you know, doing windshield wipers to the beach. And it just was, Oh, it was just maddening. Cause you're like, I can, let's do the thing. Let's do the, you know, let's, let's do the thing where we try to surf the best we've ever surfed, you know? And so on the, that's what you got to do when you were with, with Taylor, you were surrounded by people who were better than you. Um, and you were trying to surf the best you've ever surfed in your life. And every once in a while you would achieve that. And, um, and so that was really, really fun time to get to work on those films. And it was also like super challenging, you know, mm. it wasn't just like a free for all. You were like, if you weren't surfing well, you're, you're super pissed off, you know, and <laughs> or if you had a bad batch of boards or, you know, or whatever it was like, you were trying to surf the best you've ever surfed. And if you weren't surfing that way or, you know, you were bummed. So it was an interesting, it was like pretty high level, like you were working really hard at it. Um, and so I got lucky enough while I was working with Taylor to have a couple of good, you know, years where I was able to put together sections and, and, um, I, uh, I feel really lucky that that happened, you know, it was between 
time and space and being part of that generation and part of that crew and and then having good enough boards and amazing surf on the trips like that's a really lucky thing to happen in your career at that time it was a huge deal so i feel really lucky about that and then so i was competing during that time and then what happened is um what really gave me a, a chance to like take a step back and look at my competitive career was that i i was surfing himalayas one day and i blew my shoulder out really bad hmm. and um, that was one of those i was before himalayas was a photographed spot and it was it was just it was at that time, it was just always a few friends, nobody around. It was totally taboo to take a camera out there or, or anything. And, um, and I just, I just ate shit and blew my shoulder out really bad and, um, needed to have the uh, labrum repair surgery. So I was out for seven months and it was right after I, um, I got that second to sunny at, um, us open and, um, and, so that year I got the best seed I had ever gotten. Mm. And so I was like, uh, all set up to qualify the next year. And, and I was, and I was out, I was done. So I, I had that whole next year basically to kind of step back and look at, and I think I was like 27 or 28 and I was feeling like really old at the time. <laughs> and so that was when I got to take a step back. And I think I finished off that year, did a couple of events. I think that's when I won that, that faith writing pro contest. But I just felt like I'd had enough contact with, with the people who were really doing well um, in competition. And I'd had enough time to kind of look at myself and know what I was good at to realize that like, if I could still continue, you know, surfing, that if competition wasn't a part of it, that would be better off for me. So right around that time, um, that was right around when the shift from Hurley to Patagonia was going on. And, um, and that's right around when I started working with Thomas Campbell. And, um, yeah, I remember I went to Thomas and I'd seen his, his first movie, the seedling. And, um, I was, you know, pretty interested in filmmaking and I, the way I remember it was being like, Hey, I'd, I'd be stoked to help you work on a film, even if it's just behind the camera. Um, and, and he was, and then, you know, a couple months later he called and was like, let's, uh, let's go to, let's go to Sri Lanka. And it's not so much that I was like helping him make the film, but in those days it was like, there was no, there's no crew. It's like Thomas mm. with a bunch of, you know, cans of film and a few cameras and tripods and a couple surfers. And so you, you're just inevitably helping make the film, you know, you're carrying tripods and, helping set stuff up and doing all that stuff and, and then surfing your brains out too. And that was totally different because with Taylor, Taylor and, um, uh, you know, a few other of the guys filming, they would not miss waves. Like it was, mm. it was, you would, you would go out surfing and they'd get every single wave where Thomas would miss, miss like 50% of the waves. It wasn't about <laughs> getting every wave. It was about a totally different thing. So that took me a little while to get used to. Um, but it was just an in, incredibly different creative process, super interesting. Thomas is, you know, amazing artist, super creative, and it was really fun to see a different process. And, um, and we would go on trips and just, you know, for weeks at a time to Morocco and Sri Lanka and Mexico and, um, 
just an entirely different MO on those trips. Uh, and, uh, when I look back at those ones too, I'm like, I just feel so lucky that they got documented and, um, met an entirely different group of people. And, you know, it was amazing. It's cool to hear you talk about those, those two distinct approaches to filmmaking. And I mean, again, like a, a couple of years younger than you, but like getting to watch all these films and getting to watch all those segments at a time that was a little bit pre-information age, certainly pre-social media. And like, you know, it, like in a Taylor film, like someone's segment, regardless of where it landed in the film, it was almost like, it's almost like an art gallery showing where it's like, oh, this is what this person's been working on. Like this is this collection of expression that this person's been working on for a period of time and now we get to enjoy it. And it like all those sections, all your sections and the songs and the waves are like seared into my brain in a way where you flash forward to 2023. It's like probably every half session gets thrown up on YouTube or like on Instagram or whatever. And you're constantly feeding this thing. And it just, it's hard to remember anything when that's the case. And it does feel like, it does feel like some of the free surfers in 2023, whether it's, you know, Noah Dean or a, a few others are moving to that space where they're like, no, we're not releasing everything on social media. We want to put together, you know, something a little more substantive. Is that, is that how you kind of remember it too? Or, or maybe I'm off. I mean, absolutely. It was, I mean, there's a, the social media media world is, is a blessing and a curse. Um, but I mean, it, I've seen this stuff where a kid like drops a clip or whatever you call it. And it's the most amazing surfing I've ever seen. And he did all of it in two sessions or something crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then like, it's forgotten, it's forgotten in a month and like back then, but I do think it opens the door to more people, you know, like, whereas where, you know, back in the day, it was like, you had to know the filmmaker, um, and you had, you had to have, you know, the budget from the company you're working with to put these parts together. And I think, you know, social media opens it to more people, but it also makes each, each part and each thing less significant. Um, mm. and it seems like, you know, yeah, it, it's, you know, just the landscape of media these days is just baffling in general, whether it's the news or surf media mm. or whatever. It's like everybody's consuming different things and it's really hard to keep up with in a little bit. Um, you know, it's fun at times, but it's also maddening. And um, I think the kids these days seem like they have to work a million times harder because it's just never ending. Mm. The thing's just a never ending void of, of you know, it's just a vacuum for material, you know? And so, um, I think that it's just completely changed, you know? Um, yeah. and I don't know how the kids do it these days. <laughs> well, and I mean, I like as an observer too, it does feel like this is something you've done really well in your own career, which is try to protect space and time and energy away from that kind of current model that we've been talking about probably mostly for your own sanity. But I do think that even like, like unrelated, but I think in my life too, like anytime I have a little bit of space and a little bit of time and I'm able to pour energy into something, the output is so much more profound than it would be otherwise. Or I'm like, I just tick that off my, you know, 20 things to do today. Um, and it does feel like you, you've maybe even actively curated that kind of space in your own career. Is that fair? Are you saying as far as like the, um, kind of social media type of stuff? Yeah. 
I guess so. I don't know. It just like as a as a fan and a, as an uh, uh, outside observer, it feels like you've been really deliberate. Whether it's been your sponsorship choices or the projects you choose to work on, or again, yeah, I think social media is a part of it. Just how much you choose to engage in that seems pretty deliberate to like protect space, you know, in in your life for your own yeah. kind of benefit. Yeah, I think so, and I think it's been largely to do that I've been really, really lucky to, to work with, you know, people and companies and all this stuff that I, that I really am, you know, interested in. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, 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 uh, kind of going back to that little bit of like how I can feel that imposter syndrome a little bit. Like if there's Mm. something I'm not interested in, it's, it's really hard to stay, stay tuned in. So I have, I, um, I say no a lot more than I say yes. Um, and I also just feel like, yeah, I only have so much energy to put into things and I want to be able to put everything into something. I also got a kid and a family and, you know, it just doesn't, you know, some people kind of like are just constantly working on, on output mm-hmm. of media and stuff. And that's just not, not where I've been. You know, it's like, I've been really lucky to work with a handful of filmmakers and um, and companies and, you know, and so it, it's made my, it's made me a little spoiled. My standards a little high. And so I, I kind of waiting around to work on the projects that are really inspiring. I like it. We're going to take one more break to get a word in from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. All right, we are back. This is The Lineup. I'm Dave Prodan speaking with Dan Malloy. Dan, you, you've given us so much insight into your background and where you've been and, and what you've been working on. And the work that you're doing right now at, with your family at Poco Farm is so, so cool. And you mentioned, you know, you've, you've got a young family you know, outside of Poco Farm. And, and are there any projects that are taking up time for you at the moment or that you're looking forward to to 24 or anything that you're even kind of incubating idea wise of, of what might be next for you outside of, uh, outside of the farm life. Yeah. I mean, 
right now we're definitely focusing on this educational farm project. Now it's taking up most of my time, but as far as surfing goes, um, there are definitely a couple of things coming up. Uh, I'm hoping to go do a trip to Mexico with Trevor Gordon before too long. You know, Trevor at all. I know of um, him. Yeah. Big fan. He's yeah. An, yeah. He's, he's great. Um, really good surfer and he's been shaping a bunch and, and, uh, we were just talking, he invited me to go on a trip in possibly in spring and just take a couple board bags full of his, the boards that he's been shaping. Um, that'd be super exciting. The guys at, uh, uh, need essentials have, have been in touch a little bit. I don't work formally with them or anything, but they've been like, Hey, let's, let's do a trip. Let's do a strike mission somewhere. So I'm, I'm looking forward to possibly doing that with, with, um, with that, that crew. Um, I'm looking forward to working with the guys at true aims, um, in the future, possibly working on a little film for them one day, a little like origin story. They've been doing amazing work up there for years, just, just head down doing the work. Um, we have, uh, my brothers and I and Jeff Johnson, we all own a, um, an outrigger and that's just getting done being, uh, painted and gel coated and everything at, at Jeff Hull's boat yard right now that sh should be done and ready to go like right around my birthday, which is coming up in December. And so hoping to get that back out to the overhead, um, and wood reef, um, yeah, just kind of chipping away. Um, hope, hopefully do some diving again soon too. It's not really like prime time this, this time of year right now, but, but hopefully get on another trip or dive out at the islands a little before too long. So yeah, just kind of chipping away. Nothing, nothing huge, but, um, plenty of fun stuff in the pipeline. Love it. We, uh, we put out a feeler for some questions on Instagram at, at the lineup pod and, uh, we got a ton back oh, for boy. you actually. I think people are like, <laughs> Oh my God, he never, he it's it's a little bit like, um, I mean, it's sponsored by Yeti. We can use Yeti. I was going to say Sasquatch, but it's like a little bit like a Yeti yeah. sighting. Like, Oh my God, like he's, <laughs> he's emerged. Let's let's anyway, we've whittled it down to, uh, to three questions for you. Um, first question cool. is from at Hermes Pineda who asks, was eight the best surf movie you've ever been to? Like was working on it the best? I mean, it was, uh, it was fun. We had a good time. I, I would say it was eight days. So like that was a blip. <laughs> it was like, I can't even believe I, I had forgotten about it, to be honest. It was a super good time. It was hanging out with that whole crew, surfing our brains out. I, it doesn't stand out as anything better than the other trips I've been on, but it was, it was, uh, it it was, it was a good time for sure. Um, that was on when that was between we were in, in foster, um, between oh, yeah. events and we would always stay there. And it was back then when like you would make enough money at the events to, to rent a house. Like we'd all be renting a house, just surfing every day. It's unbelievable. And before, before nine 11 and before all the crazy shit that's going on in the world. And it was definitely an amazing time. Um, but we did that every year and that time we filmed it and they pumped out a little video. <laughs> That's cool. I like how you say it was back when we made enough money to rent a house, but I feel like people are making more money now contest wise, but renting a house has gone like through the roof. So it's, it's like tough, yeah. to, tough to make that work. I, I, 
I guess I said that because like the last time I went to Australia, the dollar was not very strong. I don't know what it's like. Right no, now. of course. Yeah. But like, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember traveling to South Africa and to Oz and to everywhere basically. And just being like, just feeling like Kings, you know, you'd make a, a thousand bucks at a contest and you were just like laughing, you know? And so it was just a different time for sure. Uh, second question is from at curse Bailey who asks, have you ever thought about making a snowboard movie like your cousins? Hopefully oh, that's accurate. So huh? <laughs> I, it's, so my cousins made a, my cousins, Brendan and Emmett made a, uh, like a scripted comedy, uh, Oh, interesting. Snowboard movie. Yeah. And, um, I think it was one of Zach Galifianakis's first movies. Um, but no, <laughs> That's a simple one. That's a very simple answer. No, I haven't thought about making that. <laughs> not not interested. Movie or anything like that. No, not. What about any movie, that. like scripted or fiction? That's not your. That's not <clears throat> your jam. Um, thinking about making it. Um, I yeah. think that. Yeah. For me, it's so funny. I, I mean, it's so not interesting to anybody on this podcast, I'm sure. But um, I am interested in making films like kind of documentary documentary type of films in uh, in agriculture um i just feel like agriculture is this like kind of big forgotten cornerstone in in um in kind of environmental movement and and i think it's just this really great connector like when you really get deep down Mm -hmm. enough into whether it's hunting or agriculture like there's there's this kind of radical center politically and everything that mm-hmm. that I, I don't think um i just it's just endlessly fascinating to me the way that people are are uh farming and hunting and raising animals and doing all this stuff i don't know why i don't know why it's super interesting to me i'm not necessarily gifted at any of that stuff but it's super interesting to me and almost like it was in surfing back in the day. It's like really fun to be around these characters, gotten to be around some of these different people, you know, and um, that are doing amazing work. And it's just, I have that same feeling like I used to have when I would see Aki shopping at Foodland, you know, I'm like, wow, that's that person there doing this amazing work. And it would be fun to do some documentary work in that, in that space. But, but I'm not, champing at the bit quite yet. Like I'm, I'm, I'm holding back a little bit right now, just trying to focus on our project for the time being. We'll probably make a couple little, a couple little mini film projects about what we're doing here first. Very cool. Uh, last question from, uh, the Instagram community is from at Norbell R who asks, what are two to three surf spots in your pocket list? Bucket list. I've never heard pocket list before. Maybe bucket list. Um, Let's see. Let's see. Um, I mean, I still head down to Emmawood quite a bit. Um, it's funny cause it's like a pretty, you know, realistically it's a, it's a super mediocre wave, but it's right, right. The closest spot and it has those fun little wedges that come off the reef from the outside. And it's, it's also fun because you go there and like, you know, Dane's there, you know, just shredding. And the other day I went there and it was, uh, Chippa Wilson and Bobby Martinez and Aton and then always a bunch of my best friends are there. So I'll head down there when I can. Um, oh, 
I don't know. Most of the spots that are uh, the ones I really dream about aren't really spots that I can talk about. <laughs> um, but uh, that's a great that's a great answer. <laughs> that's that's like I think it. that's I think the the answer. And it's not like some of them. You know, it's interesting to me what we were talking about earlier with the uh, with the lineup, like who's you know dealing with the different characters and everything. Some of them aren't even really secrets. Mm-hmm. They're just like you don't go, you don't bring cameras and you, you don't bring mm-hmm. a bunch of people. You just show up and surf. And I love that. It's really, it's a really cool to have those kind of unwritten um, little standards and to stick with them. I like it. Well, thanks to everyone who wrote in at, at the lineup pod. We're now down to our final segment. This is the lightning round. So these are 10 questions for you to answer as quickly as you can. First question. If you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless, which would you choose? Oh, lightning? Son of a b- Um, I think it would be a... Uh, oh my God, one board? One board. Oh God. Oh God. Um, my flippers. Okay. I like it. We're not going to hold you to it, but I like, that's a good, I, I, I like the audible. Uh, second question, coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? Right now, neither one. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Uh, last book you read. Um, Last book I read, oh God, can't even think. I just read a book recently called Landmarks, um, kind of obscure and random, but it's a really good one. It's a good listen to both reading it and listening to it are great. Best surf film ever. Oh, shiza. Um, Crystal Voyager. Hmm. What is one wave you never have Actually, to go back to? Sorry. Oh, I'm going to just audible. take it back. No, go for it. I'm going to say that one of my favorite surf films ever, it's hard to say best, but is, is litmus. Oh, that's a good choice too. You got two bites of that apple. That's fine. Both. Yeah. Both I'm going to take two bites. <laughs> that's good. Uh, what is one wave you never have to go back to? Um, one wave I never have to go. I'm thinking of a really scary left, but I can't think of it. Um, God, I'm not good at lightning. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're, doing oh, good. you're doing really good. Don't worry about it. One of those, uh, one of the, you know, we used to have to go every year to um, surf, surf in Argentina for a giant like reef event. And it was always ankle high. And so I'd be glad to go back to Argentina for a couple of different things, but not for surfing. Fair, fair. Uh, if you only get to surf one way for the rest of your life and you can dream cast it, perfect conditions, just your buddies, no one out, whatever. Oh, um, I mean, I wouldn't mind surfing lances with nobody around every day, but sandbars are also good. I got to surf King Island. That was pretty amazing. I love little close to the beach. Beach breaks are really fun too. So I'm, I'm taking multiple bites out of every apple. Those are both good answers. Um, 
Best person to share a lineup with? Oh, my, just my friends from home. Worst person to share a lineup with? Oh, man. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people that are bad to share a lineup with. Um, oh my God. I don't know. You don't um, have to name it. Not everyone wants to name on this yeah, one. That's no, okay. I mean, if there's they a bunch exist, of that's more than name, enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I can't, I can't even think there's just too many to name. <laughs> Fair. All right. This is the last one. Uh, finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by <laughs> uh, going for a hard run. I like it. Dan Malloy, thank you so much for coming on the lineup. Uh, congratulations on everything you're doing at Poco Farm. And uh, yeah, man, you've been a, a hero of mine for a long time. So stoked to stoked to get to talk to you and, and hope we get to hang out soon. All right. Thanks so much, Dave. Really appreciate it. So that's it. That is the lineups conversation with Ventura's Dan Malloy, an episode presented by Yeti. I hope you enjoyed it. Today's episode is executive produced by Jed Pearson, Tim Greenberg, and myself, produced by Miguel Clemente with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that is recorded and produced on the ancestor lands of the Chumash native people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are. Have a great holiday and we will see you in the new year. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup.